We're going to be reading verses 1 through 16, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. And as they used to say when I was growing up, when you get there, say amen. <laughs> it is good to be together today. You know, uh, over Thanksgiving, um, I truly was thankful for it, each one of you. Uh, not because of just simply the fact that we get to know each other and do life together, but because of what God has done in your heart and in your life, and it's encouraging to me to see that. Uh, there is so much um, growth in our church uh, in so many different ways, and um, it's good to see what God is doing in our midst. Amen? And it's good to worship together. Matthew 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a, man, like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard and whatever is right, I will give to you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the seventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, because he said to them, I'm sorry, you go into the vineyard too, verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired, about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the, at the master of the house, saying, These last workers only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us which has, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So, the last will be first, and the first last. Please pray with me. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that you would make the scriptures plain, we ask, God, that you would teach us this morning. Help me, God, as I seek to lift up what you have said. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so imagine you're a young man or a young woman working at a lumber mill. Hard labor, long hours, kind of a mean boss. You get there at 6 a.m., sunrise, and it's going to be a long day. You've got some deadlines. You've got to start, our, start early. The owner of the mill promises to, get, to, to pay you $100 for the day. You begin your day, and about 9 a.m., the owner goes out and hires a few more workers, brings them in. At noon and at 3 p.m., he does the same thing, bringing in more workers to work in the mill. And finally, at about 5 o'clock, there's only an hour left in the day, he goes out one more time and he brings in four more employees to work an hour in the mill. The day is now over and it's pay time. Everybody lines up and the owner wants to pay the one-hour workers first. You watch them go through the line, and he puts a $100 bill into their hands. And he continues to do that with those who have worked four hours, those who worked six hours, eight hours. And now, now there's you. You've, le- you've worked 12 long hours. Your hands are so sore you can't even feel them. You're dirty. You smell. You're ready to go home. And you're figuring, I must be getting paid a nice penny today if these guys have been paid $100. You get up to the boss, and he hands you a $100 bill. How do you feel right now? Cheated? Ain't fair? People that work one hour got paid the same amount of money as you did who worked 12 hours. Now, this is a strange story, isn't it? It is very strange in our current era of labor unions. Laws about employees. But you know what? It's equally just as strange for Jesus in his day telling this story. What is his point? Well, I think we can first off say his point is not just simply uh, a a rule about how we should pay our employees, just kind of a flat standard fee no matter how many hours you work. I don't think his primary point is that. What is his primary point? Well, his primary point is this. Some have been Christians almost their entire lives. Some have been Christians, like ever since they were a little child, brought up in church, they believed the gospel at a young age, they've been in church every Sunday they can remember. They go to Bible study. As an adult, they've been giving a a tenth of their income to the work of Uh, the, the ministry. They have sought to avoid temptation. They have given many, many, many hours to the service of people, to the poor, and to the church. 
And then there are some who haven't been in church their entire life. They've been out in the world. They've been racking up money. They've been using their money and their passions on themselves. They're actually kind of mean. You don't really even like these people. They've taken advantage of you. And on the last day of their life, they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And guess what? You both get the same eternal reward. Is that fair? That's what this text is about. That's what we're going to talk about today. Because whether we like to admit it or not, it's, listen, it's easy to grumble because God gives the same grace to others who we don't think deserve it as much as we do. I've been doing all of this, and they get the same grace. Oh, we don't want to be grumblers. But how can we not be? Because when we put this into a, a, a this day kind of parable, we can easily see it's easy to be grumblers. How do we not be grumblers when we look at others and they're receiving the same grace of Jesus and they're worse than we are? Well, this passage actually reminds us of two things that will keep us from being grumblers when we see others receiving the same grace and we don't think they deserve it. We need to remember these two things so that we don't grumble. Number one, remember that the grace of God applies to you. If you want to write down notes, you can write that down and circle you. The grace of God applies to you. And secondly, remember that the grace of God applies to whoever Jesus chooses to give it to. Let's just break these down here. First, the grace of God applies to you. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. Be not proud of race, face, place, or grace. Well, a lot of people are proud of their race in a, in a, in a sinful kind of way, think I'm better than others because I'm a different skin color than they are, or others are proud of their face being on, on Facebook or social media or Google searches. Others are proud of their place where they grew up. I'm better than you because of where I'm from. But it's that last one that seems strange to me. Be not proud of grace. I think it was Brian Sessions actually last Sunday in Sunday school. He talked about how it's really kind of impossible if you think about it, to be proud of grace. Yet we figure out ways to do so. I mean, the very nature of grace means somebody gave it to you. It's not intrinsically mine, so how can I be proud of grace? Yet we figure out ways to, to do so. For instance, if I gave you a nice, wa uh, a nice watch, what's a nice watch? I don't wear watches. A Rolex, is that a nice watch? Rolex? So I gave you a Rolex, all right? Last watch I had was in 1999. It was one of those clip-on deals. It was cool. Huh? No, I don't remember. But it had a blue face. It, had a, it was silver with a clip. What was, that? what was that brand? You guys know what I'm talking about? Huh? No. 
Anyway, it doesn't matter. I would use that as an example. But I gave you a Rolex, all right? And then you, you start walking around acting like you're better than everybody because you're wearing a Rolex. Whoa, 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 whoa. I gave that to you. And now you're acting like you're better than me <laughs> because I'm not wearing a Rolex. Listen, you can't do that. It's grace. You can't be proud of, of grace, yet we figure out ways to do so. We are so prone toward pride. No, remember, it's grace. Remember, the grace of God applies to you. The grace of God applies to you. Three things here we, that we see. First, it's always a privilege to work in his vineyard. It is always a privilege to work in the vineyard. Look at verse 1. We see here early in the morning. So in this context, this would mean sunrise. At sunrise, he goes out to find people to work in his vineyard. Now, a vineyard in Isaiah chapter 5 and Isaiah chapter 27 and Jeremiah chapter 12, vineyard always refers to Israel. So this is saying Israel, or true Israel, is God's vineyard. This is the people of God. And so there's this, uh, uh, this, this owner of the vineyard, and he's going out to find people to work in his vineyard. Are you guys tracking here with the theology? Are you tracking with like the picture that we're, that we're getting that they would have received in the first century context? So he goes out early to find these workers. Now, stop. Are we naturally workers in the vineyard? No. Are we born with a right to the vineyard? No. We are outside of the vineyard. We don't deserve the vineyard. The vineyard is not ours. And here clearly in, the, in the, the Gospel of Matthew, there's this, this view of those who are outside of Israel, the Gentiles, those who are not part of, not born into the family of God. And so we see here now God is going to the margins of society, and he's bringing people into the, you, you are invited in, you're brought in. Meaning it's grace. You don't deserve it. It's a, it's a privilege to be a worker in the vineyard. I would say this applies to those who are saved at a very young age. This early in the morning people. This would be people who are saved in their childhood. They are brought up hearing the gospel and, and they received it as, as a young child and they've lived as far as long as they can remember. They've lived uh, with a desire to please God. And then he goes out again, and, and we see here uh, in verse 3, the third hour, which would be 9 a.m., and then in verse 5, he says the sixth hour, which would be 12 p.m., and the ninth hour, which would be 3 p.m. He goes out every interval of the day and brings in more workers. Now, in the context, this would have made sense. Uh, there were seasons in which a uh, uh, people would be standing in the marketplace knowing that there are farmers who need to hire extra laborers for the day. Maybe it's harvest time. And so men would gather in the marketplace and they would be standing there idle waiting for a job. And, and so here we see this. He's, he's going out throughout the day and he's bringing in more workers. 
Some are saved, we could say, as a child. Others at 20 years old. Others at 30 years old. Others are brought into the kingdom at 40 years old. God is going into the margins, bringing people in at different stages of the game. But for all of us, what we have to remember first is that it's a privilege to be in the vineyard. It's a privilege. A friend of mine recently got a gig uh, in the pit for the orchestra for the Broadway show Hamilton, which is kind of like a big deal. I didn't know it. I, I don't like follow Broadway at all. So she told me she was in the pit for Hamilton. I was like, Hamilton? What's, what's Hamilton? <laughs> all right, now this is before it became, before the whole vice president thing, and I couldn't name one Broadway. I think, wasn't Lion King? Was that a Broadway show? Am I right on that? Okay. What's that? Anyway, don't worry about that. But when she explained to me how big Hamilton, I was like, wow, that's a big deal. This is a privilege to be working for Hamilton. And so we, we began talking about it a little bit. And let's just pause for a second. Do you recognize the privilege it is not to be working for a hit $700 ticket Broadway show? That is a privilege according to earthly standards. Do you understand what a privilege it is to be a worker in the kingdom of God? I don't think we understand that. Because we go through our days acting as if we've got nothing to do, we've got no worth, no value, I'm not making it in life. Do you understand what a privilege it is that God has invited you to be workers in His vineyard? But we forget that. And that's the second thing we see here. We forget that it's a privilege. Look at verse 11. So they receive their pay, and it says on receiving it, verse 11, they grumbled at the master. Why are they grumbling? Why are they grumbling? Is it because they don't like their pay? Well, not really. The denarius, they actually seem to be fine with the denarius. The issue is that they've been working in the vineyard. That's what they're grumbling about. Look at verse 12. We have been out here. We have been the ones that have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. They're grumbling about the fact that they've been working all day in the vineyard because it's been hard. There's been a burden, and the east wind has come across, and it says, scorching, terrible heat. And I think that here Jesus is referring to what we see in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not consider it strange when fiery trials come your way. I believe what we're seeing here are the burdens and the fiery trials, the scorching heat of what it means to be a Christian. There is a sense in all societies and in all culture that, that being a Christian means tribulation. It means hardship. If nothing else, has anybody ever, uh, has anybody ever denied a temptation? You've denied a temptation at some point in your life. Seeing some heads nod. Good. That, I'm very glad to see some heads nodding right now. You've denied a temptation. Let me ask you this. Is it painful to deny a temptation? All right, just an example. 
There's a sense in which even denying temptation is like a scorching trial. I've got to bear with this. It's a burden. I've got to keep moving. Now, we understand it's delightful in the end, but there is a hardship to life. Their issue is not the, 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 the pay. Their issue is the fact that they've been working in the vineyard. They forget that it's a privilege to work in the vineyard all day. But, we'll, but look at the text here. Look at verse, um, verse 6. He describes those who are not working as idle. That word idle means without purpose. It means without status. It means that if you are not working in the vineyard, then you're actually one who has no purpose. You have no foundation. You have no status. And and you can say, well, there's so many things I could do in this life and so many purposes I could have in this world to make the world a better place. Yes, that's true. That's called common grace. But I'm talking about eternal purpose. I'm talking about real purpose that lasts far beyond this world. Those who are not in the vineyard, he says, have no purpose. So it is a privilege, don't you see this? To be in the vineyard. You've got standing, you've got purpose. Uh, One man built his house on a rock. Another man comes along and he says, no, I want to be right by the ocean. And he builds his house on the sand. And for a season, he's got a better view. He's got a nicer spot right on the ocean. Feel that breeze coming in the window. Oh, how wise I was to build my house on on the ocean sand. And then the storm comes. The rain pounds on the houses. The winds blew and beat against that house. And the one that was built on the sand fell. But the house that was built upon the rock stood firm because it was founded on the rock. Do you recognize, guys, a life in the vineyard is a life founded on the rock. A life in the vineyard is a life that, is, that has purpose, that has foundation, that has status. You, you have something to stand on. And as the torrent of death comes your way, you're not going anywhere. It won't ultimately harm you. It is a privilege to work in the vineyard. The other thing we see here before we move on is that we default to works-based mentality. Look at verse 10. It says they thought they would receive more. Why did they think they would receive more? Come on, somebody help me out. Why did they think they would receive more? Because they worked more hours. We default to this works-based mentality. I have done more in this life, and so that means that I get better salvation in the next. More work here means more saved there, whatever that even means. Less work here means maybe a little corner in heaven. No, we are not saved by our works. It is not of works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to His what that He saved us. It's according to His mercy. It's according to His grace. 
And so then we now, as recipients of grace, now invited to be in the vineyard, we do what? We walk in the works that have been prepared beforehand for us that we might walk in them. First thing we must remember is this. The grace of God applies to you. There is never a moment in your Christian life, no matter how many great things you do for God, that that truth does not apply. The grace of God applies to you. Second thing that we must remember, remember. Second thing is this. Remember that the grace of God applies to anybody that Jesus chooses. Anyone. Anyone. Everybody say, anyone. Think of that person. Your enemy. The person, you just don't, you can't imagine doing life in heaven with them for all of eternity. The grace of God applies to who? Anyone. Let's look at it. So we've got this grumbling going on. The owner of the vineyard then, in verse 13 through 16, he replies to the grumblers, and particularly he replies to one of them. I don't know why, but he just talks to one guy one-on-one in verse 13. And he makes three points that show us that God has the right to give his grace to anybody that he so chooses. Two men walked into a Christmas Eve service. A businessman and a drug dealer. They're there sitting, the businessman comes straight up to the front and it's a time of quiet, it's a time of prayer and the wealthy business owner, he prays to God and he says, God, I thank you I thank you for not making me like one of these poor people out here. God, I thank you for not making me like one of those addicts that I see. I thank you for not making me like someone who doesn't have any education or any gifts to offer society. As a matter of fact, God, I thank you for not making me like that drug dealer that I passed. I see him on the corner. I know what he does. He continues to pray. The business owner says, God, this year, as you know, I have, I have given to the Salvation Army. I've bought families for my neighbor's kids. I'm in church every Sunday. And while he's praying, you, you don't hear it, but in the back, he stands far off, doesn't even, doesn't even dare come to the front of the room. The hustler is praying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, one of these two men walked out of that place justified before God. 
and a little hint, it wasn't the business owner. No, those who have earthly standing in life do not necessarily equate eternal standing with God. And those who are on the fringes of society do not necessarily demand and mean that they are going to be on the fringes of eternity. But the grace of God applies to who? What was the word? Anyone. Anyone. This is what he shows us. First, he shows us something for all of us. Then he shows us something for some of us. First, he says, all receive mercy and grace. Look at verse 13. He, he replies, friend. Now, by the way, that word friend right there, uh, is, there's somewhat of a distance to that, uh, to, to that word. There, this is somewhat of a mild rebuke. This isn't sort of the way friends would actually address each other, but it's as if you and I are in an argument and you're yelling and I'm like trying to shut you up and I'm like, friend, friend, friend. You know what I'm saying? There's a sense of like rebuke in this. Friend, Jesus says, like the owner's kind of shutting him up a bit. I am doing you no wrong. You cannot take this to Better Business Bureau. There is no injustice with this owner. Well, if you remember in verse 2, they agreed to a denarius a day. And in verse 4, when he goes out at 9, he tells the other workers, I'm going to pay you whatever is right. And so the owner then deems it right to pay those who have worked less hours the same amount. Now a little understanding of the context would be helpful here. In this day, it cost about a denarius to get by a day. A denarius a day would allow you to go to the marketplace and buy enough food for your family. What he's doing here is absolute grace and mercy to those one-hour workers. These guys who have waited the entire day and nobody has come by and hired them and they can't even stand the idea of going back home with no food to feed their family. And this owner comes to them with one hour left and he invites them to work in his vineyard. And what does he pay them? Just a couple pennies? No. He blows their mind and he pays them a day's wage. I believe this owner cares more about the, the, um, the, the, the well-being of this individual than he does the, the amount of hours they've worked. And I believe the same about God. He cares more about your eternal well-being than he does about the amount of hours you work for him on this earth. And that's why it's all grace. Well, let, well, let's pause for a second. What does it cost for someone to be saved? Is it cheap? Does Jesus save us with just a couple pennies? What does it cost for someone to be saved? Martin Luther put it this way. He says, since this, meaning salvation, was impossible for us, God ordained for us in our place one who took upon himself all the punishment we deserved. He obeyed the law for us. He averted the judgment of God for us. 
and appeased God's wrath. Grace, he continues, grace therefore costs us nothing, but it costs another much to get it for us. Grace was purchased with an incalculable, infinite treasure, the Son of God himself. Grace is not cheap. Grace costs God much. You see, God cannot just simply dole out grace in different measures. If someone is going from sinner to eternity with God, it is going to be very costly. And so that means if somebody's going to be saved on the last day of their life, it's going to cost a lot. Grace is not cheap. Oh, but God gives it all. He pays it all because He cares more about your spiritual well-being than, or your eternal well-being, I should say, than He does about the hours that you've put in during this life. Question, how is it right He says, I'm going to do for you, I'm going to pay you whatever is right. How is it right that any of us could receive this payment? How is it right that any of us sinners could receive this reward? Well, the answer is solely in the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, I lived a life of sin, and as a result of that, there's a penalty for sin. Judgment of God. God is a holy God and He cannot overlook sin and allow sinners into His presence. Sin has to be dealt with. Christ came and He lived the life that I should have lived. He died on the cross and the weight, the burden, the shame, the guilt of my sin was placed onto His shoulders on the cross and He paid it all. He paid it all. He took the penalty of God. And listen, God does not require a double penalty. If you're walking out of Save-A-Lot with a loaf of bread and Montrell offers to pay for it, which he'll do for you after the service, and he pays for your loaf of bread, would it then be right for that person that works at that register Would it be right for that cashier to now charge you for the bread? Come on, somebody. No. Why? It's been paid for. And it would then be wrong to require another payment. How is it right that we can be saved? How is it right that we can then, by God's grace, have this kind of eternal reward? Uh, It's because it's been paid for. Your sin has been paid for. And so God is just, according to 1 John 1, 9. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful, and He is what? Just. Meaning, He's right. I paid what is right. He is just. Meaning the person who's saved on the last day of their life, you don't even like this person, right? 
But all of their sin, all of their shame, the penalty for all that was placed on the Christ. God is then right to give them this eternal reward of happiness. I wonder if you have known this grace of God in your life. Have you known this forgiveness? Have you known this kindness? Friends, confess your sins to Him and know that He will never turn away a repentant sinner coming naked before Him. I need a Savior. Cleanse me, O God. Have you known this washing? Cry out to Him, God, I believe, I receive it, I turn from my sins and I turn and I see Christ on the cross. My reward. Do you realize the reward that God has in store for you? Let me ask you this question. Who is greater in heaven? Who has a higher standing in heaven? All right, we're going to play a little game here. Father Abraham or you? Who has a greater standing? Father Abraham? Okay, we got one for Father Abraham. Come on. Who has a greater standing in heaven? Jesus. There we go. That's when the Sunday school answer pays off. I I learned this one. Abraham, the father of many nations, the recipient of the promise of God, will not have a greater standing in heaven than I do. Who will have a greater standing in heaven? The Apostle Paul, who started all the early churches, wrote all these letters, Romans, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, I could go on. The Apostle Paul, or a 79-year-old man who, who has lived his life all for himself, he spent his money and his passions on himself. He made a lot of money. He did well in life, but he, he, he used it and he abused it. In the process, he abused alcohol. He's now got liver issues. He's, he's got kidney problems. 79 years old. Now he's in hospice care. He's on, he's on all kinds of treatments. And a, and a hospital chaplain shares with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And he, for the first time, like all of these sermons he heard in church growing up, they come back to him, and he, and he recognizes the, the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, and he believes that Jesus Christ is his only hope. And he turns from his sin, and he, and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And he claims Jesus as his Savior, and he dies the next day. Who will have a greater standing in heaven, him or the Apostle Paul? Who will have a greater standing in heaven, him or the Apostle Paul? The the answer is neither one of them will. Why? There is only one who has a greater standing in heaven. There are going to be no autograph lines for Father Abraham. All right, there's going to be no little popularity circles, people trying to get around Paul. No, there's only one that we're going to be around. There's only one that we're going to be lifting up. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. 
you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power for by you, through you, all things were created and by your will they were created and have their being. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nation, you have made them a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and glory and honor forever and ever. Let me show you a couple brief things here as we close. Listen, all are recipients of God's mercy and grace. Some receive more mercy and grace. Here's the reality. Some of you, 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 by the time you die, will have done more work on this earth for the kingdom of God. That's a true statement. You'll have put in more hours. You'll have dealt with more fiery trials. You'll have put up with a lot of stuff. Let me show you, look at the last couple verses here in our text. Look at verse 15. After, after these people are grumbling, the owner says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Like, it's my grace. Can I not give my grace to others just as I gave it to you? Or, look at this, do you begrudge my generosity? That could be better translated. Are you envious because I'm generous? Are you envious of God because He is generous? What we see here is this. All receive equality in the eyes of God. Look at verse 16. He says, so the last will be first and the first will be last. That's a reversal of what we see in 1930. He changes the order around why. I don't think he's saying that the last will actually have a higher standing in heaven. What he's saying is he's turning it around to match the parable he just, just showed us. The last will be first, meaning the last are going to be paid first, we see here in this parable. Why is that? I think it's because he wants those of us who have been a Christian for longer, who have done more for the kingdom of God to see the radical grace of God to the our workers, to those who are saved on their last day. He wants us to know how grace, gracious and how good and how merciful he is. Point from this passage, number one, Don't think that because you have done little in this life, you will receive little in the next. 
See, some of you might be, you, you might feel more um, at home here with the hour workers. You might feel like you've wasted so many of your years and, and now as you've gotten older, God has just now opened your eyes and you're just now beginning to, to work in the vineyard. You might say, that's, that's me, I'm not the other guy. I'm the one who's, who's, who's wasted my time. I'm the one who's been idle. I'm the one who has had no purpose in life. Oh, do you understand God's grace to you? Don't believe that because you have done little for him here that you will receive little in the next. But secondly, don't think that because you've done much here that you will receive more because it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. What's Jesus doing here? His his whole parable is really an illustration for an answer that the that the disciples asked in the previous chapter. In chapter 19, verse 25, after the rich man walks away sorrowfully and after the kids have been accepted, the disciples ask, who? Who then can be saved? And in order to answer that question, Jesus tells them this parable. He's showing them something. Who can be saved? Well, don't the successful people in life deserve to be saved? Someone who has done so well in the eyes of this earth, how can they not be saved? How can God turn away such a successful person? And if it's difficult for them, how hard is it for me? That's the question the disciples are asking. Who then can be saved? And Jesus shows them. With man it is what? Impossible. But with God all things are possible. Many who are of the lowest standing according to our worldly standards, will have the highest reward for all of eternity. And that is the happiness of heaven, the joy of Jesus Christ. Let's not be envious of God's grace toward people that you deem worse. Let's not look down on the fool, but let's pray, God, show them your grace. This is good news. This is good news for your your uncle who's wasted his life, who's spent all of his passions on himself, This is good news for him. There's hope. This is good news for your grandmother who's who's bitter and angry. There's hope. This is good news for the ugliest, meanest, worst sinner out there. There is hope for all of us. This is good news for you. 
Because if it were not for the power of God, none of us would be saved. But we are recipients of His grace. We are invited into His vineyard. Father, we ask that You would help us apply this to our lives, that we would not look down on others because they seem worse than us, but that we would strive to to live lives as workers in your vineyard without grumbling, without complaining, and that we would pray that those in this world who are idle, who have no purpose, would before their death find Jesus Christ as their Savior. God, go to the margins of society and bring in those who are looked down on, bring in those who are despised by this world so that Christ might be lifted up and glorified, so that His grace might be magnified. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.